Well, I'm pleased to be joined today by Darylin Moyer. Darylin is the Executive Vice President and Chief Executive Officer of the American College of Physicians, which is the largest physician organization in the United States. She'll be starting her fifth year in September. Darylin, thanks for joining us. Thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure. So, Darylin, you're also a, an infectious diseases specialist, so you have a unique perspective on um, the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm curious, as someone who sees still sees patients in Philadelphia, what's happening kind of on the front lines? Well, um, I am an internist uh, first. Once an internist, always an internist. Um, and uh, I'm also an infectious diseases physician. And as a former uh, internal medicine residency program director, um, I continue to see people part-time um, in the residency uh, internal medicine community-based practice uh, at Temple Hospital. Uh, and what's happening on the front lines in Philadelphia uh, is that we are still in the midst of having our first uh, peak of uh, the COVID pandemic. Um, there were some thoughts that possibly we were seeing some receding of the numbers, uh, but it's pretty clear that we're still uh, at the top uh, of the curve for this initial uh, this uh, initial onslaught. I, I think the other important point here is um, that this pandemic is demonstrating um, the uh, the health inequities and really amplifying. Um, we already had significant health inequities uh, in our society, and I believe that this pandemic has really ripped open the uh, underbelly of that, as we're seeing uh, our, our poor, poorest communities, communities of color, um, that are being predominantly affected uh, here in Philadelphia. Yeah, we're, we're seeing the same thing in the sort of greater Washington, D.C. area in terms of the health inequities. What if you could sort of outline a, a three or four step strategy post pandemic to address some of those issues based on what you're seeing, what would your kind of goals be? Well, I, I you know, first of all, we the, the ACP put out uh, a series of papers in January of this year, um, Better as Possible, A New Vision for uh, American Healthcare. And I would urge your readers to go back and take a look at those papers, which were published as a supplement in Annals of Internal Medicine uh, in mid-January. Uh, and we essentially have a, an executive summary paper, a paper that looks at cost and coverage, uh, a paper uh, that looks at payment and delivery system reform, and a paper that looks at public health uh, and addressing social indicators uh, determinants of health and health inequities. We really chart a path which was extremely prescient for what we're experiencing now uh, regarding ensuring that everyone in the United States has, um, a, has coverage for their care and access uh, for that care. And we, we chart two mechanisms by which that could happen, and that could happen with the, the system we have right now, which is a pluralistic system of employer-based insurance and adding a public option onto that or through a single payer. Uh, we talk about uh, shoring up and funding a, a connected uh, public health infrastructure that is connected into the community um, and so obviously would have antennae up uh, when something like 
the COVID-19 epidemic is taking hold in the community would have a much uh, quicker early warning system uh, for that. Um, we also, in that series of papers, talk about uh, the financing of healthcare systems and that we, and I think that again, what this epidemic has demonstrated is the large chasm between the haves and the have-nots in healthcare. Certainly seeing the, con the broad contrast between health systems that are all struggling right now, but many are struggling a lot more um, than others are, particularly those that run on thin margins um, to begin with. And what we talk about is an all-payer system with global budgeting. Um, it's very similar to what Maryland has uh, at baseline uh, in, their, uh, in their state. Uh, in terms of having that sort of global uh, budgeting um, in order to help to sort of uh, make sure there's more of a level playing field for all the hospitals and health systems throughout that state. So, I mean, I think it really is, it's having, and I think that the large raging epidemic of unemployment that has accompanied the pandemic has demonstrated um, that while we have, you know, a decent employer-based insurance system, this is exactly the stressor that is really going to illustrate that now you're going to have 30, you know, plus million people that are um, unemployed, in addition to the 33 million people that were uninsured uh, at baseline, and this is a huge stress uh, on the system. And you know, it's important that everyone have access to care. Uh, access to appropriate coverage um, so that people are not um, basically not seeking care when they're ill, whether it's from something like COVID or it's from one of the many other acute and chronic diseases afflicting um, our citizens. I've heard a few people make the observation that if this situation doesn't move us from a policy perspective in the direction that you're outlining, then basically nothing will, but it'll just continue to, to deteriorate. Would you, I, I normally try not to ask yes or no, and ask yeah, yeah, yes or no questions, but I'm just sort of curious if you think that assessment's correct. Oh, I think that if there, anything should be the catalyst, this is the exact, sadly, the exact catalyst that should really uh, get us all into action and say, never again, we know that this pandemic is not over. We know there are going to be uh, there's going to be lots of activity until we get a, a successful vaccine and and have a good portion of our uh, the susceptible folks um, vaccinated against it. So if anything should galvanize our action, this catastrophe should galvanize our action to get to a better place so that we are much better prepared. Uh, and have uh, you know the ability to address all of the the issues uh, that have come up uh, and really been magnified and amplified by this pandemic. So you and I get to spend a fair amount of time in, in various meetings with our counterparts at other societies and you know, especially societies and subspecialty societies. And you've made a couple of observations: one in January and then one recently just around the one in January, one of the papers in the ACP series, which I would recommend for everyone to read, was around um, the responsibility that ACP and other specialty societies have related to culture change. And, and you were talking about, as someone who's an expert in infectious diseases, seeing infectious diseases in one part of, I believe it was in the Gulf of Mexico, then 
being up in sort of off the coast of Nova Scotia. Yes. That really stuck with me as sort of an interesting public health issue. And then I've also heard more recently an observation you made around, you know, yes, this is a hundred year flu, but it's possible that we'll have more hundred year flus over the next couple of years. Mm-hmm. I'm just trying to get my mind around both what's happening with the sort of changing climate, but then some of these other issues related to pandemics and what we should be thinking about as we plan for the future. Yeah, I mean, I think undoubtedly we are all interconnected uh, and there there is no doubt about that. And the specific example I think I gave was about Vibrio vomificus, uh, which is a flesh-eating bacteria uh, that particularly afflicts folks with liver disease and other predisposing conditions that was seen predominantly in the Gulf of Mexico in the warmer climates. And they're now having reports of it up in in Nova Scotia. There is absolutely no doubt um, that there are significant uh, effects of climate change on health. And it has to do with lots of things. It has to do uh, with the very erratic weather patterns um, uh, that, for example, has fueled malaria, uh, chikungunya, Zika, and dengue to uh, those epidemics, which are mosquito-borne epidemics to have much larger territories and taking hold in parts of the world that we never saw them before. Uh, The Ebola uh, outbreak uh, in Africa has clearly been fueled by deforestation and issues around uh, uh, more intermingling of animal species with humans. Um, And so, and then generally the globalization and the fact that someone is over in the Wuhan province and may have been asymptomatic with uh, COVID-19, gets on an airplane uh, and you know flies to a, a meeting wherever and has close contact uh, with uh, a bunch of folks. And those people leave and go back to their homes and you know, voila, pandemic um, you know, is born. Um, so I think that unfortunately um, we are, this was sort of a perfect pandemic prescription with this organism. Uh, because it's highly infectious from what we can tell. It has what's called a very long serial interval, meaning there uh, is a, a large amount of time between someone actually becoming infected and now infectious simply by talking to other people before that person might become symptomatic, if they become symptomatic at all. So it's sort of unfortunately that, that uh, perfect storm of lots of things uh, coming together and I really am concerned um, that these these epidemics are going to continue to accelerate because of a variety of, of circumstances that are that are teeing them up. So I try to think of this from my role at ASN. Clearly, a big part of what we'll be doing organizationally moving forward is adjusting every aspect of the organization, but also thinking about policy-related issues for people with kidney diseases or kidney failure or kidney transplants in this kind of context. I'm just curious as to how the American College of Physicians has started to approach its agenda, both in the short term related to the current pandemic, but also in addition to the papers you published in January, just you know, more broadly as you think about the future. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think, as I said, those papers were really quite prescient uh, in terms of the comprehensive guidance uh, that it charts uh, to get us to a better place. 
uh, in healthcare. You know, I think we've had a multi-pronged strategy uh, at the college, and I think one of the wonderful things uh, that has come out of of addressing this pandemic is to see how closely our community is working together to get to a, a better place. Um, in terms of, of resources, uh, before we get into the policy, we rapidly stood up uh, in the middle of March um, a COVID-19 um, website that was curated in real time. In fact, it was getting curated several times a day as we were just getting more and more evidence. We, uh, it was wonderful to see our partners from um, the internal medicine subspecialty societies, you know, contributing uh, important information, cutting edge information uh, to help the clinical management and the practice of, of medicine uh, for our members. And we stood this site up actually to be uh, freely accessible to all without any wall that you have to go behind. Um, and we're happy to see that it's the, the number two physician resource uh, for COVID-19 uh, after the CDC. So we continue to curate that in real time um, and get lots of submissions as evidence is accumulating and changing. I think the other really important arena that happened quickly, and I, I like to say that COVID did in 20 days um, in, in terms of practice transformation into telemedicine, uh, what hadn't happened in the 20 years prior. Uh, we have been in the process of the ACP of developing uh, broad curricula and resources around telehealth and telemedicine. And so we're very quickly able to rapidly stand that up and continue to add a lot of uh, great practical resources. Um, and as you mentioned, with all of this comes the the policy and the advocacy that has to come around this. Um, and, you know, we're very concerned about what we're seeing uh, on the front lines, both at hospitals and large healthcare institutions, but also what's happening with our members who are in smaller uh, private practices um, and the concern that in the interest of maintaining folks' health, they were telling people not to come into the office, which was completely appropriate. Um, but we needed to make sure for folks that, you know, have to work until 3 p.m. every day just to keep the lights on in their office, um, that they were going to stay in business to be there for their communities. So uh, lots of work in terms of uh, getting CMS um, and the commercial payers in terms of appropriate uh, telemedicine um, coverage and uh, appropriate parity. Um, again, uh, I work uh, with a patient population um, that doesn't always have a, a landline, let alone uh, a cell phone with smartphone capacity. And there's a lot of issues around the country with broadband access. So a lot of patients only have a landline or they have a, a less sophisticated cell phone to talk to their physician. So we were very happy to see one of the major areas that we pushed through, of course, was um, around the pay parity uh, for telephone audio only calls. We've also been very, very concerned about what we were seeing in terms of infection control, uh, inadequate uh, personal protective equipment uh, for our frontline um, healthcare uh, professionals, um, and have certainly, you know, developed a lot of, of policy around that, and have also, um, you know, been concerned about some of the, the business practices that that we've seen uh, in terms of uh, some of these healthcare professionals getting sanctioned. 
for going out and discussing these issues uh, around infection control and PPE inadequacies um, by their organizations. Uh, I read last week that sadly, uh, over there's been over 2,700 OSHA complaints that have been lodged against uh, hospitals and healthcare systems um, by their employees in the midst of this. The bottom line is we need to get to a better place. We need to get to a better place for patient care. We need to have a better early warning sentinel surveillance system and better connections between the, the folks on the front lines in our communities uh, who are seeing clinical uh, things that raise their antennae um, and the public health authorities. Uh, and we need to have a better plan moving forward where everyone is connecting, collaborating, uh, communicating. Yeah, you, you'd mentioned earlier the, the fact that you were a internal medicine residency program director and, and you spent a lot of time, your, pretty much your entire career, working around medical students, residents, fellows. One of the parts of the situation that I'm really concerned about, I know what we hear from our members is what's going to happen sort of with trainees, particularly those that have been pulled into service kind of on the front lines. And I'm just curious, given your experience, the advice you have both for nephrology as a community, but also the broader sort of, as you said, house of internal medicine. Yeah. I mean, I think this is a real call for physicians to step up to leadership positions and healthcare systems, other stakeholders in healthcare uh, to ensure that the folks that, you know, have their fingers on the clinical pulse are also the people that are the decision makers and the leaders of that clinic, that uh, dialysis unit, that uh, hospital, that healthcare system. I think it's absolutely crucial um, that we uh, not just bootstrap uh, physicians on the front lines to doing clinical work, but we understand that not only do they see all of the issues that are undermining quality and safety, as well as being our early warning system, they also in the next breath frequently know how to fix it, or at least know who to get to the table uh, to get it fixed and to have that discussion. And I think this is a real call for organizations in the healthcare space to be able to um, foster the professional development of their physician leaders and give empower them in a way that is going to help um, help everyone else run those healthcare systems. Um, so I think that that's that's critical. Um, that again, we we know we see what the issues are. And in the next breath, I think we know a lot of the solutions are potential solutions. Uh, so I do think that that's going to be critical as we move forward here. And I think the other thing is that, you know, our physicians keep patient care as their North Star. You know, that is what guides them uh, in their, you know, minor decisions every day, major decisions every day. And I think that, that once again, that's critical. And we need to push back against business practices that do not hold patients as our North Star. Um, and I think that that's, that's critical in this environment. And I think that there's a call here for physicians to really have a strong voice. I think there's been newfound respect seen in um, 
for the healthcare uh, profession, uh, particularly for the, those folks on the front lines, like the physicians and the nurses. So I think this is an incredible opportunity that we can't miss to once again really pull together and speak with one very, very loud voice. Well, I think that's the perfect note to end on. So thank you for taking the time. Uh, I know how busy you are, so I really appreciate it to, to chat with me about well, this. Thank you for inviting me. It was a pleasure chatting with you. A couple of my best friends are nephrologists. Uh, I've been incredible respect for the nephrology uh, community. I know, um, you know, particularly putting themselves at risk every day in dialysis units, uh, taking care of all those, you know, patients who are showing up for emergent dialysis in emergency rooms. Um, so my thanks to, to you and to all of your listeners. This podcast is copyrighted by the American Society of Nephrology, all rights reserved. All content in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be medical advice. This podcast should not be used in a medical emergency or for the diagnosis or treatment of any medical condition. Please consult your doctor or other qualified healthcare provider if you have any questions about any medical condition or before taking any drug changing your diet, or commencing or discontinuing any course of treatment. Thank you for listening to this podcast from the American Society of Nephrology.